Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Why don't you go ahead and turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 5. Our text is going to be verse 4 to 5, actually just four or five verses before the offering verse that we saw today. And uh, we're going to be continuing our series on Living on the Edge. Last week we talked about David Livingstone. Uh, how about how he was had a, a life of devotion, and today we're talking about Amy Carmichael and how hers was a life of love. <clears throat> and just as a before we get into you know just talking about her, I just for especially for all the women, not only the women but also the men here, I, I think I really want to encourage you to read biographies of missionaries of the faith who have gone before us and their lives, the stories uh, of just how inspiring the way that they followed Jesus and how they really lived out their lives, it's, it's incredible. And I think, especially for many of you women uh, who are like, yeah, all the examples are men and we all talk about, and that's why we're talking about Amy Carmichael today. I encourage you, read about Elizabeth Elliot, read about Lottie Moon. There's so many others that God has used over the year, years it, throughout Christian history that we can be inspired by. But today we're gonna be talking about Amy Carmichael. I think there's a photo of her right here. She uh, is primarily known for her work for orphan children in India. And she uh, is known to uh, known as almost in some circles the mother to India because of her impact uh, in her work with children. And uh, it, it's interesting because she wasn't the first person in uh, Christendom to actually bring Christianity to India. Actually, uh, Christianity came to India long time ago, like centuries, the only couple centuries after uh, Jesus. So Christianity had been there for many generations and centuries and even millennia. But the way Amy Carmichael brought Christianity, and in India what happened was it became very nominal Christianity, was the way that she loved really just demonstrated a different kind of love, a love of another kind that people just could not just uh, just say, you know, I can't see it. It was so vibrant. It was so different that made such a big impact. And I think aside from Mother Teresa, she's one of the most well-known female figures in Indian history. She spent most of her life in India. She was buried in India. And, and before we get into her life, I know that oftentimes when we, when we think about different people like this and we put them up, we're like, hey, be like David Livingstone. How many of us are like, yes, I could be like David Livingstone? None of us. Okay. And they're like, be like Amy Carmichael. And we're like, no, there's no way I could be like Amy Carmichael. She is too holy. She is too loving. I cannot be mother to India. I can't even be mother to Hong Kong, a mother to my dorm, or mother. You're like, well, I'm not a mother, I'm a father. <laughs> it's oftentimes very discouraging. Because why? It's so hard to love in that way. We don't have that kind of love. And I just want to start from the ground level. What is it? that's easy for us to love. Just think about it for a moment. What is the first thing that pops up in your mind that is the group of people or the thing that is easiest for you to love and love in a very deep way? Most of us, it's, it's, it's simple. It's our families, the people that we grew up with, our parents, our siblings, people that care for. Maybe you had a caretaker or a godfather or a godmother who was really invested in your life all throughout your life. So, you know, for myself, it's you know, uh, the, two most important, yeah, the two most important people in my life now is my wife and my son, right? So uh, it, it would be easy to say, yeah, I love my wife, I love my son. But what about those people living on the edge? What about those people that we've been serving this past week through NGOs and different outreaches? Then it gets much, much more difficult. Then it's like we don't have that capacity to love. And if we're honest with, us, with ourselves, it almost seems impossible. I went on a missions project to Papua back in 2012, and um, we traveled to uh, first, you know, stop by in uh, Jakarta, and then flew out to Papua. Some of you who uh, watched the movie Ends of the Earth, same area. So we actually visited some of the city. We didn't go to the rural areas, but we went to places like Jayapura and Biak and Sorong. We visited different orphanages, and as we were going, I think, you know, there are different moments where I felt like, okay, maybe God could give me a, a love for these people, but 
I didn't really feel like super moved. And I expected to. I was like, oh, if I'm in a missions project, then I ought to feel super moved. I have to love people like these missionaries of the past did. And uh, after we went, we visited a couple orphanages. This is a photo of our first missions uh, picture at one of the locations we stopped at. Um, I don't know if you can tell which one Pastor Seth is. He's in the middle. Uh, there's a circle there. Yeah, so there he is. Yes, so he did have a lot more hair before. Um, and then I'm all the way on the right. So I think my hair is about the same. Maybe it's a little bit rounder back then. Um, but we, we just kind of visited different couple cities and we were toying around and just ministering. We visited a couple orphanages. And I remember thinking like, yeah, that's okay. But, you know, I don't really have a heart for children. Thank God I have a heart for Noah. You know, that's the one, one child I can deal with, right? But it's hard. I'm not naturally someone who loves children. But uh, one of the places that we went to in Sorong, um, we actually visited an orphanage, the next photo. I don't know if this is exactly the same group of children, but I remember being at one of those orphanages and we played some games, we did some skits and we tried to interact with them, showed love. And then at the end, we normally, what we did was we would sing a song. We would sing a worship song and then pray for the children and invite them to experience Christ or, or invite Jesus into their lives. And I remember singing, there's an Indonesian song. I don't know if some of you know it. I don't know if it's a kid song or if it's just a regular worship song, but it's, it's like, Kumawu Cinta Yesus Selamanya. Okay, some of you know it, right? Okay, I'm not Pastor Dennis, so I'm not going to keep singing. Um, <laughs> you guys can sing it on your own later. But it just, it's very simple words. It just like, and it just repeats that over and over again. It's like, I want to love Jesus forever. And the chorus says something like, uh, oh, Abba, Father, here I am, your child. Very simple. It just repeats that over and over again. And there's something about that room as we're worshiping, singing that. And, it's, and the, the melody is kind of slow. It's kind of like a ballad. And, you know, I was just holding up the lyrics and I was just watching the children. And something about it, as the children were just worshiping, some of them started raising their hands. And they were just, you could just tell they were moved by the love of Jesus. And something about that, it just got to me. And I started like feeling like wet moisture you know, on my face. And I was like, what is this? And I realized, like, there were tears, like, little tears. Not like, I wasn't, like, bawling, but there were little tears coming down my face. I was like, what is this feeling? I've never felt this <laughs> for kids before. And at that moment, I realized, like, this is not my own love. It is not love of Bo, myself, for these children. It was the love of God. Because we had been to other orphanages before, and I didn't feel anything, but it was just seeing God's love for these children as we were singing that song showed me that my capacity love does not come from myself. My capacity love comes from the Father and His heart for the people demonstrated, shown in a way that I could not express by myself. And, and I share that because as I remember being overcome by love, when we think about people like our Amy Carmichael, we're going to be talking about all the incredible things she did in love for God and love for people. It comes from a love for the Father and being a recipient of the love of the Father and putting Him as our King in the highest place. That's why I want to just share with us, if there's one thing that we can remember this morning is that when we know God is our one King, then we shall love God with our everything. When we know God as our one King, then we shall <clears throat> love God with our everything. And as we've been talking about in this uh, sermon series, we're going to break this down into three parts. We're going to be talking about the preparation for God's mission. And I'm going to talk about that and explain to you how Amy's heart was captured by love. Uh, in the second part, we're going to be talking about her purpose in God's mission and, and see how her soul was committed to love. And in the third part, we're going to be talking about her place in God's mission, her legacy, and a might consumed by love. So hopefully you've turned to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 5. We're going to look at the first point, her preparation. How did God prepare her? Remember, during this section, you know, so many times when we look at the upbringing of some of these people and their experience before they went on missions, a lot of it is going to be things that we can relate with, that we can learn from, that we can be like, you know, they're not so different from us. And how can God speak to us just as he spoke to them? So the first point, Carmichael's preparation for God's mission, which was a heart captured by love. So let's read Deuteron Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verses 4 to 5. Just two verses. This is what it says. Well, actually, let's read it together. It's just two verses. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Sometimes, actually, this is called the Shema, and it was the prayer in the Jewish tradition. They would incorporate into their daily prayers in the morning, in the, in the afternoon, in the evening before they would go to bed. And it was something so important, so central to who they were because this was, this was the, the most important part, saying the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. He is unlike any other God. He is the king. He is the one that we ought to focus on. And a response to him being our, our king is to what? To love him. Many of us, we think the Old Testament's all about these rules and regulations, God's wrath. No, it's about a, a, relation, a covenant relationship with God that's demonstrated through love. And, and he starts this, uh, Moses, as he's commanding the Israelites, he's starting this with the phrase hear, which means listen. It means to listen, means to go deeper in our understanding. It means to, to generate a response. So when we listen, when we see God as our king, we can't sit there and do nothing with it. We have to respond. And the response is to what? Is to love. Is to love. And the first thing that we're commanded to do is love what, with what? Is with all our hearts. With all our hearts. What does it mean to love with all our hearts? Many times we, just don't raise your hand. How many is when we think of our heart, we think of like our feelings, our emotions. Like when we see that really pretty girl, like our heart flutters a little bit. Right? Or that guy, like, oof, yeah. That Korean band. I don't know what Korean bands are now like most popular. But you're like, ah, you know, like your heart kind of, thumps a little bit harder. Like, you know, we think of like, it's like an emotion or it's a feeling. Like that was not how the biblical writers used the word heart. For them, what they believed the heart was, was the, found, the seat of the desires, the affections, the appetites. What, what you are captured by, what you are enraptured by, not just a temporary feeling, but a deep longing for. Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the, the what? The desires of your heart. Why? Because the heart is the place where your desires come from. Think about it for a moment. What is it that you think about most, that you care about most, that you long for most every single day? <clears throat> Those are the desires of your heart. Those are the things that are your affections. That, that are your appetites. Your appetite is not just for food, right? It's just it's your appetite for something that defines what your heart cares about. Last uh, couple of weeks, before we started Missions Month, we were going through Romans. We talked about scandals. We talked about idols of comfort, of power, of approval, of control. Those are all our heart's desires. Why? Because we want those things, and we believe that those things are going to satisfy our desires, our appetite, our hopes. Luke 12, verse 33-34, Jesus is speaking to his followers, disciples. He says, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your what? Heart be also. So wherever your treasure is, your treasure is what? The thing that you desire, the thing that you long for, the thing that you're putting your affection toward, that's where your heart is. So your heart is a thing that you're constantly longing for, desiring, have affection for. And, and your desire isn't always something positive. It could also be something that provides a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry. Just think for a moment, what's the first thing that you think about when you wake up in the morning? What's the first thing? Some of you, it's like, oh my, why am I awake right now? I need to sleep more. <laughs> Some of you, it's like, oh man, I have this big meeting coming up or this project that I'm working on. Oh, I'm not ready. So there's a little bit of anxiety. Some of us, it's like, oh, I wonder what that person's going to think of me because I have to meet with them today. Some of us, it's like, oh man, this tension in my heart because there's this relationship that's not going well or this group project that's not going well or this uh, big thing that I have for work that's not going well. And so there's these worries or fears that come up. Why? Because we're longing for something. We're longing for something that we're afraid that we're not going to get. And, and it's not, again, it's not just positive things that we long for. Sometimes there are things that we long for that produce negative things in our hearts. The problem is we're constantly looking for other things 
in our lives to, to fulfill that desire. And those things will never, ever satisfy us. How many of you, you've been satisfied fully by this world? You're never uh, discontent for the rest of your life. You're perfectly happy. Raise your hand. None of us. There's nothing in this world that can fully satisfy us. Well, you're like, Pastor Bo, then what, what can we do? Because it's, it's hard. I know God is the one that I ought to be desiring the most. I know God is the one that my heart must be captured by most. But how can I do that? Let's look at Hebrews 4, verse 12. It says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's God's word. God's word that captures our hearts. God's word that exposes our hearts. It's God's word that shows us what our hearts are really wanting, desiring, saying, that's not God. Turn back to him because he is the only one that can satisfy you. Amy, Amy's heart was captured by God's word, by his love. She was born in December 16th, 1867 in Mill Isle County down in Ireland. She's from the uh, UK. She was raised in a, in a really wealthy family in, in that town. Her father was uh, owner of a mill. She had, there were three large houses in that town. She had one of the three large houses. Her, her family was raised in a very well-to-do family, but they were also very devout Christians. They raised her in the church. But it wasn't until around age 15 that she came to know Christ as her personal Lord and her Savior. It was starting in her teenager years that God really started to speak to her, capture her heart, and help her to realize that maybe there are some things that she desired that weren't really of God. There's one experience that I want to share, or a couple experiences I want to share. First is that when Carmichael's father passed away when she was 17, just, I don't know, I, I, I do not hope that for any of us, but sometimes it's those moments that really catalyze something in our hearts and exposes what uh, we're long for. And God spoke to her through the word to convict our hearts. So there's one instance where it was while she was helping a poor old woman carry a bundle of sick. So because uh, her father passed away, they had to move another city and uh, she was going to church with her mother and her brothers and you know respectable family she kind of grew up being fairly wealthy she wore nice clothes and the and the church and the group of people that she associated with were also of similar social structure so she's walking back from church and along the way she sees this poor raggedy old woman come out of an alley carrying a bundle of sticks and, and just for whatever reason, she just rallies her and her brothers to help this woman carry. And this woman's like wearing raggedy old kind of clothing. She, she's helping this woman carry the sticks. And the, the woman is going the opposite way that she's going. So she's helping her going back that way. And what does she see? As she's helping this woman go back, she sees all the other people from church coming the other way, dressed in their Sunday best. And she just goes, she just becomes super embarrassed. She writes about how she is so ashamed. She was, she was afraid of what people were thinking of her. She was afraid of being judged. And as she was doing that, she walks past this fountain. And I'm going to read uh, just something that one of her biographers' article wrote about her. As, as, she, as soon as she passed that fountain, she heard God speak to her. And this is what it says. She heard as clear as day the words of 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12 to 13. It says, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. From that moment on, Amy wrote, nothing is important but what is eternal. A change began to happen with her, within her. She had always been kind, but she was no longer kind just because that was the right thing to do. Because God had shown her such kindness, she desired to extend that kindness to others. She bubbled over knowing that there were so many people God loved and was calling her to love. Her sister called her, the, her sisters called her new attitude, Amy's enthusiasms. And that was a pivotal moment that she wrote about. And that really impacted her. That the, after the math, what did she do? There were these uh, girls called Shawleys. Essentially, they were girls who worked in the mills who were poor and dirty. And the reason why they were called Shawleys is because they would wear shawls over their head because they couldn't afford hats to cover their heads while they were working. And no one wanted to go to church with them. So when she started reaching out to these girls, they were shunned going to regular church. So what did she do? She pretty much found a donor to buy a new place for her to meet and do Bible studies with these women. She totally changed. Her heart was captured by God's word speaking to her through 1 Corinthians. Another instance was eat, eating mutton chops and shopping for clothes. 
God could speak through anything, mutton chops, lamb chops. She had gone to a revival meeting, and the, the preacher was speaking on Jude. We just read Jude in the, in the BRP recently. Jude 24, uh, he was talking about, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And uh, after she went to that revival meeting, her friend took her out for lunch. Uh, she was like, mentioned in her journal, she wrote, it wasn't a five-star restaurant, and the mutton chops were badly cooked. <laughs> so like, what are these mutton chops? But then all of a sudden, she remembered that verse, the Lord is able to keep us from falling, from stumbling. He's able to protect us. And she was like, who cares about mutton chops? Who cares about how good the things are cooked? Her mother wanted to take her after that to go shopping for nice clothes. It's like, who cares about fashion? Who cares about all these things? Why? And, and in that moment, God's word spoke to her that she said, I'm no longer going to live a life consumed with the material things of this world, but I'm going to live it as, as a disciple of Jesus Christ to reach out for those who do not have as I do. My question is, how many of us know that God is speaking to us all the time through little moments, everyday moments? God is always speaking to us through a word, through, through a friend, through a serving opportunity, through a sunset, through a workplace conflict. And the question is, are we listening? Hear, O oh God, hear, O oh people, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Are we listening to God? Because maybe he's trying to capture our hearts to help us to see that we're longing for something that is not of God to turn us back to him. And there are so many things that we could be captured by. There are so many times or moments day to day that we could be, God could be speaking to us. And, and for Amy, it was a restaurant, bad food at a restaurant, bad service at a restaurant. Pastor Seth knows this very well. God could be speaking at any time. And the question is, are we listening? Amy's treasure changed. Her heart was captured, and this is evidence of it. And it's not just one part of our hearts that God wants. God wants all of it. He says, love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. And for Amy, the final test before she went on missions was the call to go. She felt the call to go on missions. And when she was going on missions, the problem was, there were a lot, number of problems. Her, her mother was widowed, so she had no father to provide for her family. She was adopted by kind of like a godfather, um, Robert Wilson, who kind of became her second father. Um, so she was supposed to take care of him. He was in his old age. I think it was like 60s or 70s. And uh, she also suffered from like a neurological disease. So in the midst of this, she heard God say, go. And this is what she writes. This is the part where it just, it was just really challenged me. Where She writes, and she's writing to her mother. She says, my precious mother, she wrote, have you given your child unreservedly to the Lord for whatever he wills? Oh, may he strengthen you to say yes to him if he asks something which costs. And then she takes a pause and she, she had a hard time writing this. She continues on a little bit later. She says, I feel as though I had been stabbing someone I loved. Through all the keen, sharp pain which has come since Wednesday, the certainty that it was his voice I heard and has never wavered through all my heart has shrunk from what it means, though I seem torn in two. Oh, small shall seem all sacrifice and pain and loss when God shall wipe the weeping eyes for suffering, give the victor's prize, the crown for cross, I will trust and not be afraid. She quotes a couple dates that she remembers this on. And she says, from today till he come. Just put yourself in that situation. God calls you and and this is, these are the people that you love most in your life. And he's saying, give it up. These things that capture your hearts, the things that are easiest and more uh, easiest for you to, to love and deepest for you, most dear to you, can you give it up? Can these things that capture your heart, which are not of God, not that these are bad things, but they are not God. Does God capture your heart more than anything else? And this is Amy saying, God, and he, she's writing to her mother, but God, would you capture my heart more than anything else? And she's pleading with her mother, please let me go. And I think one of the, the most challenging things, especially for us parents, those of us who are parents and have children, this is Amy's mother's response, which I think is even more challenging. She writes this, he has lent you to me all these years. So when he asks you now to go away from within my reach, can I say no? 
No, Amy, he is yours. You are his. And I can trust you to him. And I do. I know many of you come from pre-Christian families. And even if you come from Christian families, it's, it's so difficult for your parents to be able to give you up to God's purposes. And I pray that we would make a commitment, whether we have children right now or we will have children in the future, that you will say, God, I want your heart to capture me more than anything else, that I will be able to even let go of my children because my heart is captured by you and you alone. Has God captured all of your heart so that you would love God with everything? So you would love God with your whole heart and no longer long for those other things that will not satisfy but long for Christ alone. So we talked about that was her preparation. That was her heart captured by love. We're going to move on to the second point. It was also Carmichael's purpose in God's mission, and it is a soul committed to love. It is a soul committed to love. So not only did we say, did uh, Moses command, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, but also with all your soul. With all your soul. What does it mean to commit your soul? What does it mean to commit your soul? I'm going to read a couple of verses from Jesus uh, as he talks about the soul, which will give us some more insight. Luke, 21, or Luke 12, verse 18 to 21. And in verse 18, it says, He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and I will store all my grain and my goods. So Jesus is telling a parable. He's, he's talking about this man who has, has a farm. He says, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. So what does Jesus say is the soul? It's, the soul is referring to what? The self. It's me. It's my life. It's the self. It's all about what you are and, and what, your, what your value is in this world. Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So what is his soul? His soul is his whole life, himself. And it's something that you can either live and hold for yourself or you can live for something else or someone else. If the soul is yourself or your own life, then what do we learn about loving with all your soul? Well, we realize that loving with all your soul, it's a commitment. It's not a one-time decision. Many of us were like, oh yeah, I said the sinner's prayer and I invited Jesus into my heart once a couple years ago. That's not loving Jesus with all your soul. Loving with Jesus all your soul is a commitment for the rest of your life to say, God, I want to give everything to you. All that I am is for you. It's not just a commitment, but it's also a lifestyle. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. How do you, how do you think about your future plans, your barns, your wealth, your abundance? It's about what, what, what are you willing to give in exchange for your life? Because you're no, your life is really God's, it's not your own. It's how you think. And, then, and it's also all or nothing. You can't give half your soul. You're like, half my soul, half myself is for God, half myself is for myself. You can't. It's either all for God or all for yourself. The question is, what do we give our souls to? Easy answer, I know. You're like, okay, Pastor Bo is probably going to say money. You're going to say our jobs, our grades, and relationships. We use the same four or five examples. Okay, I know those things already. But there are things below the surface that are not as obvious. Some of us, we give our souls, our lives, ourselves to our family culture. We give ourselves to what our families expect of us, what, what we're used to because that's how we always grew up. That's what our parents expect of us, whether it's explicitly asked of or not. Others of us, we, we give our souls to what? Our personal comfort and our health. Our standard of living. That's, why, what, that's what my life is about. Maintaining a certain standard of living that I want to make sure that I have for the rest of my life. Or my health. Oh, I know that I have these different weaknesses and so I want to make sure I can maintain my life so that my health doesn't deteriorate to a certain point so that I can live a nice, comfortable, healthy life for the rest of my life. Some of us are... are 
Our, our souls are in our, our dreams, our ambitions, things that we want to accomplish. Like, oh, this is, this is what I feel like God wants me to do and I want to impact all these people. And we live for those things. And none of those things in and of themselves are bad. But when they become more about yourself rather than God, that's where it becomes a problem. And my question is, can any of those things save your soul? If you're going to put your life into those things, your soul into those things, you're saying, that's what's going to save me. My health is going to save me. My family is going to save me. My dreams are going to save me. But can any of those things save your soul? None of those things can. And Amy knew that very well. And in fact, Amy gave up all those things. Carmichael, she committed to giving up her own culture. When she went on missions, a couple places she went to, she went to Japan, Sri Lanka, and also India. She started Japan. And when she was there, she was witness. She was trying to evangelize to people. And she was English, so she wore fur clothes, you know, like all this kind of stuff. Japan was cold at that time. And she was reaching out to some people. And this woman, she was about to experience the gospel. And she was, Amy was sharing her faith. And then all of a sudden, what happened? This woman gets distracted by Amy's fur gloves. And it's, it's, that totally derailed the conversation. And as soon as that happened, Amy went, goes back and she writes this. She says, I cannot remember whether we were able to recall to her what mattered so much more than gloves. But this I do remember. I went home, took off my English clothes, put on my Japanese kimono, never again. I trust risk so much for the sake of so very little. And that was the only instance. When she went to India, all the missionaries, they were following the English customs. They were retreating away from the... Indian people. And she said, I would rather live in a mud hut than a nice bungalow with the English people. How many of us, we are willing to give up our own culture, our own comforts for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of something greater. If there's anything about your own culture that stumbles, from, that prevents some, someone from hearing the gospel, would you not be willing to give that up? This is why in our church, we talk about transculturalism. If you're speaking a language that there's a group of people that are with you that they don't understand that language, would you not be able to speak a language that they can understand to include them so that they can experience the love of Christ? And it's not just language. It's socioeconomic. It's, it's the things that you talk about. It's the things that you laugh about. It's the restaurants that you go to. She not only gave up her own culture. Well, actually, here's a photo of her I wanted to show. This is one of the most well-known photos of Amy Carmichael. And you can tell she's, she's dressed not in an English outfit. She's, she wore a sari. And that was totally radical for missionaries in India at that time. She wanted to be with the people. She wanted to be not of her own culture, but of India. And that was why she got the nickname Mother to India. Second thing, not only committed to giving up her own culture, but committed to giving up her own comfort and her health. She gave up her own comfort and her health. I, I think I mentioned to you, she had a neurological disease. Uh, it was called neurologia. It is, uh, I looked it up, it is a stabbing, burning, and often severe pain due to an irritated, damaged nerve. How many of you are like, oh, I feel sick today, so yeah, I can't go share the gospel? I mean, I understand, with COVID, it's totally different. But some of us, like, any... Physical ailment, any debilitating thing, we're like, oh, I can't do anything anymore. Siri's getting upset at me, sorry. Our health is so important to us. But here she is, she suffered and, and she was out for months at a time. She had to leave Japan because she was bedridden for two months. In India, there were several times where she just could not Stand thing. The climate was a little bit better, but it, it debilitated her. But she still insisted, so I still want to go. I still want to share. She, she painted her skin dark brown all over because she had a passion for rescuing temple children. I'll share more about that in a little bit. She painted her skin completely dark brown, dressed in a sari, and would sneak into these temples to rescue children. She almost got in prison. She was constantly confronted by the authorities for kidnapping because she was rescuing these children from the temples. 
How many of us, we, 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 we wouldn't even go anywhere near anything if we see it as injustice for the sake of the gospel. We would not risk anything, our health, our safety, our comforts, anything for the sake of the gospel. Not only her comfort and her health, but also she committed to giving up her own dreams. Carmichael was, her dream was in India to go and she was kind of uh, partnered up with another missionary to go around different villages from town to town to preach the gospel. That was her ambition. All of a sudden, there's this very famous story about a girl named Prina that as she was discovering more about the temple system, pretty much the temple system in that time was a very corrupt system where children were literally sold to the temple for large sums of money. And then the children were used, supposed to be for religious rights, but eventually ended up becoming uh, sex slavery, child prostitution, human trafficking, rape. And so when Amy discovered this, she st- something started in her heart. And she realized like she had to choose either to continue to go around doing her mission or as these children were coming, Prina was the first. She realized, I can't keep going around doing this thing. I have to take care of these children. And there was a tension in her because her dream was to what? Preach the gospel to as many people around villages as she could. But what can, you, can't, you can't constantly move around with children. I could testify. <laughs> like literally bringing Noah on Sunday, it is like a whole operation. Like we start at like 8 a.m. in the morning. You think like, oh yeah, can't you just pack him up in the car and like, you know, drive him? It takes 10 minutes. No, it takes two hours to prepare just to get him here by 10 a.m. on Sunday. That's one child. (laughs) And she had more and more children coming every single, as as more people heard about what she was doing, these temple trends, and she would go uh, uh, just travel along dirt roads, going into these temples and rescuing children. And she began to feel this tension. And, and this is the tension. I want you to read just, this is a biography by Elizabeth Elliot. It's called Chance to Die. If you, any of you have an opportunity to read it, I, want, I, I really encourage you to read it. This is what she writes about Amy and what was going on into her heart. She says, she was a missionary. Mothering was not what she had had in mind when she answered God's call. The Indian girls, which were her kind of partners in the ministry, did their best to take care of the children. But Amy's itineration, itineration is when you kind of travel from place to place to share the gospel. Amy's itineration became less and less feasible. By August, she wrote, oh, I am getting so hungry for another child. And was beginning to see that she must allow her feet to be tied for the sake of him whose feet once were nailed. Could it be right, Amy had asked, to turn from so much that might be of profit and become just nursemaids? <coughs> the answer was yes. It is not the business of the servant to decide which work is great, which is small, which is important or which unimportant. He is not greater than his master. How many of you, you have a dream and your whole life goal is to accomplish that dream and that dream could be good. You could feel like, oh, maybe God has called me to this. But somewhere along the line, you made that dream more about yourself than about God. That maybe God is calling to you to give up everything for him. Because his plans are greater than yours. And he's calling you to follow in his example. Just as she wrote, her feet were tied just as Christ's feet were nailed to the cross. Will we follow in his footsteps to say, God, all my life, my whole life, my whole soul, I will love you with all my soul. I'm committed to you, Lord even if it means being a nursemaid. Exactly. (laughs) And some of us, we're praying like, Lord, you know, give me a conviction for mission. Some of us are like complaining like, ah, this mission's not that, I've been through this before, it's not that great. Oh, I don't really have a conviction from God. I'm wondering if the reason why you are not hearing from God is because you have not made any room in your life for God to speak to you. Because your life, yourself, your soul is so committed to so many other things that you leave no room for God. That God is saying, look, the harvest is plentiful. 
There's people dying every single day. Do you care? Or is your life so consumed with your own things that you cannot think a single moment about someone who's dying for the sake of Christ? Someone, our brothers and sisters, persecuted church, and those that they're reaching out to who are dying without the knowledge of Christ. No wonder we don't have these convictions about missions is because our lives are so focused on ourselves. There's no room for God's plan. Have you committed your soul to love God? Why? Jesus gave his whole soul, his whole life for us. Let's give ours to him. The last thing was not only the preparation for God's mission, Carmichael's purpose in God's mission, but also Carmichael's place in God's mission, which is a might consumed by love. I just want to reference that Deuteronomy says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. With all your might. That might, that word might in other places translated as strength, it means the sense of force or abundance. And, and when we look at scripture again, when, when we think about like, we, we, we talk about Verses like Philippians 4, 13, like I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? How, please don't raise your hand, but how many has used that verse? We're like, oh, I need more strength. Or we've, we've talked about, um, I forgot where it is specifically, but it, it says, uh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I think it's Isaiah somewhere. The joy of the Lord, okay, oh, Lord, help me for this exam. Give me strength. I need to study. Or give me strength for this upcoming presentation with my boss. I need to do well so I can get that promotion. That's not what the Bible talks about strength. That is not. Because in every one of those verses, people are going through difficulty, hardship, persecution. They are at the end of their strength. They're using it for God's purposes, not for themselves. And that is when God gives us strength. I want to read John 12, verse 24 to 25. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Where in that is I get strength to do things for myself? Nothing. No, nowhere. It says, I give up my strength. And when I give up my strength, I get what? God's strength to do God's purposes and God's things. Colonel Wheat dies, and only once it dies can it bear much fruit. Unless your life, unless your strength dies, unless you give up everything, you will not have the life that God has caused us, given us. Can we earnestly say, God, I've given you my whole might, everything? We have a little bit of time, so I want to do a quick illustration. So I've, I've asked Grady to be my volunteer, so because I know him personally and uh, he won't be embarrassed. Don't worry. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Grady, we're going to do a push-up competition. Okay, and, I, and I, I picked Grady because he's taken already, so ladies, hands off, all right? He's taken. He's taken, all right? So we're going to do a push-up competition, and the, the competition is to do as many push-ups as you can until you cannot do any more, and we'll see who could do more. <laughs> all right? Okay, so, and then, and then also so that we don't intimidate one another, we're going to face the opposite way so we can't see each other. So I want the crowd, all right? the crowd here to count how many push-ups that he can do. All right, are we good? Everyone understand? All right, ready, Grady? Get down.
Wait, 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 wait. Okay, get down, get down. I just want to make sure you can't do any more. So go ahead. Just go try. Okay. <laughs> All right, okay. You cannot do any more. All right, praise the Lord. Thank you. So I want to ask you, um, can you do any more push-ups? No. How do you feel? Tired. Tired. How, how does your chest feel? Hurt. <laughs> do you have any more strength left? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. Let's give him a round of applause. It's okay. I'll get it. <laughs> Why did I have Grady do that? <laughs> I, I don't know. Some of you who work out, you know this concept of, of burn repetitions or working out until muscle fatigue. Some of us, we don't know what it means to give all of our strength. And if you've done that in a workout before, you know that when you do that with your muscles, right, your muscles are literally to the point of exhaustion. Like you have no strength left where you cannot do anything. And I, I don't know if Grady's going to feel this later on, but later he's going to feel something sore later on in his chest. He'll be like, oh my God, it's like hard to like carry stuff in the future. And, and, for some of us, like, we've never really pushed ourselves to that point where we say, God, I want to give everything to you with all my strength, with all my effort, with all my energy, until there's nothing left. And as you can see, I didn't do very many, okay? I don't, how many did I do? Five? No, but, like, I, I fell on the ground for all five, I think. So they weren't really push-ups. And I will confess, I wasn't faking it. Though those are, that was a real effort. <laughs> okay, but, but let me explain why. Because I, I actually take a lot of pride in like being healthy. And so normally at home, I try to do push-ups. And in the past like week or so, I haven't been able to do any push-ups. Because uh, I, I don't know how, but I kind of like sprained my shoulder. And so uh, I have no strength in my shoulder. I can't. I literally cannot do push-ups. And so I haven't been doing any push-ups or any like physical body exercise in the last like week. And it's driving me crazy because like I want to be healthy and all this kind of stuff. But one thing that I realized like over this week um, that I've been doing is that even though I haven't been able to do push-ups, like I've been at home taking care of Noah and Noah's a very special baby. And he, the reason why he's special is he cannot sit in one location for more than 10 minutes. And so if he cannot sit in one location for more than 10 minutes, I can't just be like, hey, just move into a different location. Like, he can't do that by himself, right? So what does he do? He cries. So I, as the person at home, because Erica's now back to work, like, I have to move him from location to location. And he's a heavy baby. Like, I think he's like at least 7 kg now. And, and like, every time I move, like, what happens? Like, my, your sh- I realize with a sprained shoulder, your shoulder does everything for your arm. Like if your shoulder is injured, like you can barely do anything. Like doing this, lifting it is like really hard right now. So imagine doing a seven kg like this. It's so hard and it's painful, but you know what happens? I do it. Every 10 minutes, I'm moving him. No matter how much it hurts, with all my strength, to the point where it's painful. And I think it's gotten worse over the past week. I might need to go see a doctor this coming week. And the reason why I share that illustration is because when you really love something, you're going to be willing to do whatever to the, to the point where your strength is totally zapped for something greater that you care about. And I know deep down in my heart, I care for my son. Of course, yeah, I don't want him to cry. Yes, I know sometimes it gets annoying for me to hear it, like, right? But because I genuinely care for him, yes, I'm willing to whatever, even if it costs me a strained arm, that I'm going to keep moving him. And, and this is the problem with so many of us. We're not willing to lift a finger for God. And so many of us, I, I really, I want to address this. Because so many of us, we complain about burning out. Specifically in church context. Like, oh my God, ministry team is so hard. Oh, life group, there's so many serving things. Oh my God, like this and that and this and that. How many of you have burned out for the sake of Christ? And how many of you, when you burn out for the sake of Christ, you're more joyful 
then you are complaining. Can you imagine if I take Noah and I'm carrying him like, oh my, oh Noah, you suck. Like, I can't believe I have to strain my arm for you. Right? You don't do that. Why? Because I love and I care for him. But so many of us with Christ, with church, we're like, wow, church sucks. Our leaders suck. Why? Because I have to do all these things and I'm burned out. No, no, no. You're all, you know why? You know what the difference is? Because here you are straining for yourself. That's why you're burnt out. You're self-focused and self-centered. Your strength is not used for God. It is used for yourself. If you are genuinely loving God, when you are burnt out, you are joyful. Not, you, not, not, I'm not saying everything's happy. I'm not saying everything is like la-di-da. But I'm saying because you love that person, because you love God, you love that thing, then you're saying, God, I am exhausted, but I am so, it, it is so worth it. It is worth everything I've given to you. And I'm willing to give even more, even, even though I feel like I'm at the point where I'm exhausted and I have nothing left to go, I will go one more step because why? Because I love you and because you love me. Amy Carmichael died on January 18th, 1951, Donover, India. Her legacy is giving up her strength and everything that she had. She started a church for over 500 shawlies. Remember the, the poor women who worked in the mills called the Welcome in Belfast. It's in Ireland. It still ministers today. She built a school, a hospital, recruited a medical missionaries to serve the needs of the poor in the surrounding villages in India. Even though people said it's not possible. Even though she didn't have the funds. She didn't make excuses. She prayed. She believed that God would answer she faced imprisonment, constant conflict with authorities of the Hindu caste system, even a campaign from other Christians and missionaries to remove her from India. They said there's a, there was a campaign to remove Amy Carmichael from India. Why? Because she was causing too much of a ruckus. Her work was too controversial for them. Carmichael, she did not believe in furlough. She never returned to England once after arriving in India. 55 years. Never once. She'd take a break, go home, visit family, rest. And I'm not recommending that. I'm not saying that's biblical, necessarily. The Bible does say rest is important. But she gave all her strength. Carmichael founded the Donover Fellowship as the official organization to care for over 1,000 orphaned and rescued children over her lifetime. Over her whole life, the 50-some years that she was in India, she rescued over 1,000 children. Can you imagine a thousand children? One is enough. One is enough for me. Erica's like, it better be. No, I'm like, we'll see. We'll see. We're going to pray about it. <laughs> a thousand children. This is a photo of the Donovan. It still exists today. I think there's um, over 400 acres, 16 nurseries, a hospital. Um, they do agricultural work. It's a, a local Indian uh, Christian group that runs it. Her legacy continues to live on. Why? Because she gave her whole life for that. Carmichael had a bad fall in 1931. She was bedridden for 20 years. 20 years. She couldn't walk normally. She continued to leave, lead the DF, the Donover Fellowship. She wrote books and letters and the ministry for the rest of her life. She published over 40 books. How many of you, you barely read 40 books? <laughs> she wrote. She wrote 40 books. <laughs> Pastor, you better get on that. You... <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> and there was some anecdotes where at one point when she was too old, she couldn't write anymore. You know, and some, some of us were like, okay, we'll just give up by then. She started dictating. She's like, come here. And she was just talk and someone else would write. She was that determined. And then lastly, the last point I wanted to finish with is Carmichael's work led to temple prostitution being outlawed in India in 1948, three years before her death. She didn't necessarily campaign. She wasn't an activist necessarily campaigning for the law to be passed, although it probably did come up in conversation. But her example 
culminated in this evil, sinful practice being outlawed in India. And, and pretty much to the point where, yeah, the work that she did really culminated in that. And it's an incredible testimony of how she gave up her one life. That one seed that dies falls to the ground. And once it dies, what happened? It produces so much life for so many people around her. And I think rightfully so, she, she earned the title of mother to India because she what? She literally raised all these children. And her legacy lives on both in India and in Ireland and all over the world as so many different biographies have been written about her. I want to close with this last quote. Um, she wrote this after her mother passed away. Her adopted father, who was kind of like her godfather, passed away. If you notice some of her biographies, she's not Amy Carmichael, but she's Amy Wilson Carmichael. So that was a man who was uh, much older, but uh, kind of like a second father to her. Uh, one of her first Indian helpers had passed away, one of the ones who was kind of like by her side. And then her also partner in ministry, uh, a guy named Thomas Walker, who was very instrumental. She was trying to groom him to be like the next leader for the men. He passed away. So pretty much all these people who are like closest to her passes away. And this is what she writes right after. She says, And shall I pray thee change thy will, my father, until it be according unto mine? But no, Lord, no, that shall never be. Rather, I shall pray thee blend my human will with thine. I pray thee, hush the hurrying, eager longing. I pray thee, soothe the pangs of keen desire. See in my quiet places wishes thronging. Forbid them, Lord. Purge, though it be with fire. And work in me to will and to do thy pleasure. Let it all within me, peaceful, reconciled, tarry content, my well-beloved leisure. At last, at last, even as a weaned child. Amy's words pretty much saying, Lord, it's, it's like the words of Jesus, not my will done, but yours be done. Her whole strength, her whole might, consumed by God's purposes, God's will, and given. And this is Jesus's testimony. And we're like, yeah, Amy is this holy saint, and I can never be like him, her. And we can't. And that's the answer. That's the fact. We can't. We can't love like Jesus loved. We can't love to the extent, some of us were like looking at Amy like, there's no way. But this is what Jesus says in Mark 12, verse 29 to 30. Jesus talking with a the scribe. They're coming to test Jesus. And they're asking, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is what? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The irony is the scribes are telling Jesus, what should I do? What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you should do this. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And we cannot. And that is the greatest thing about Jesus is that when we cannot, he is the one who does that in place of us. He is the one who loved with all of his heart. He is the one said, God is the one I long for most out of everyone, out of anything. He is the one that loved with all his soul. He's, he gave his whole life to the cross. He died, he was crucified saying, my life is not my own, but it is for these. Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. And his, his whole might, his whole strength was given as he resurrects. Why? Not just for show, but so that we could have eternal life. That is the good news, that it was not that we loved him, but that he loved us. And our only response, the only appropriate response is to love him back. And that is the hope that we have. That is why the one thing for this morning is that when we know God as our one king, then we shall love God with our everything. When we know God as our one thing, then we shall love God with our everything. The next steps I want to give, just a couple here. First is just listen to how God is speaking to your heart. Just listen to God. There's everyday moments that God is speaking to us. Sunsets, conversations, conflicts. Um, one practical example, like stop looking at your phone on the MTR. 
Look around, see God and what he's showing you. Maybe there are people that are hurt. Just look at the expressions that people, I mean, it's hard with a mask, right? But look at their eyes. Look at the things that they're consumed with. Does your heart not break? Maybe God is speaking to you about that. Go do some research on countries, people groups, Joshua Project, great resource to see where people are literally being persecuted and dying and, and what the people groups are going through. Second thing, live for eternal things. I, I really think some of us, we need to eval- do a hard evaluation on the way that we spend our time, talent, and treasure. Look at your schedule. Where does most of your time go to? Look at your gifts and your treasure. Where does your finances go to? We always talk about how giving is not for the church, but it's for you. Because if your money is going to where? Yourself then that is the total antithesis of where God wants it to go to. And you'll always be stuck in your Christian life. You'll always be like, God, uh, where are you? What are you doing in my life? Why? Because everything about yourself, your own life, including your finances, is all for yourself. And lastly, leave everything on the field every day. Living everything on the field or on the court, just an English idiom, just pretty much don't, 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 what's it called? Give everything, give everything, give your all. Don't have any regrets. By the time you come off the field or come off the court, don't feel like, oh man, I wish I did that or I wish I tried hard enough or I, try, I wish I gave a little bit more energy because man, we could have won that game. Leave everything on the field every single day. By the end of the day, you should be exhausted for Jesus with your whole strength to say, God, I've done everything today that you've asked me to do. That means excel at work. That means study hard for the glory of God. That means maybe there's a colleague that you're you're building a relationship when they're struggling, you notice something and there's this tension of your heart. And you're like, man, should I talk to them? Should I uh, um, like ask to pray for them? You're like, no, you're like, oh man, all this people pleasing. Just do it. Don't have regrets because who knows? That person might not be here tomorrow. I heard there were like more than 10 suicides from youth in the last month. Don't come to the end of the day and say, I didn't give you my all. Leave everything on the court. Leave everything on the field and say, God, I want to give you everything. Come on, let's stand together. not one of those pleasant messages to preach. I feel like you guys are like, Pastor Bo, what's gotten into you? You're yelling a lot. You don't normally yell. Something I'm I'm growing in. (laughs) But I, I, I really feel like when I think of the way, and this is myself included, I'm not excusing myself. When I think of the way that some of us, we live our lives, we make decisions. And to the day that we die, we go to heaven and God says, what have you done? And you're like, oh, look at this Netflix series that I watched. Look at this career that I built. And all the positions and hierarchies that I was able to attain. Look at all the people that I pleased. I can't help but think, is that the way that you want to live the rest of your life? Stand before the Lord. Look at these sticks and stones and hay and wood that I was able to construct. God says, no, I wanted wanted jewels. I wanted gold. I wanted silver. 
I wanted things that are eternal. You're like, man, I missed the point my whole life. I want to challenge us. Can we live a life of love, not for ourselves, but for God? When we live for a life of love for God, we will love other people, our neighbors, those who've never heard of Jesus Christ yet. Just invite us to pray and whatever God is speaking to you about this morning, just respond. Just pray. Just If some of you are convicted, Lord, just, Lord, let my life be for you. Let my heart be for you. Let my soul be for you. Let my might, my strength be all for you. And just pray that prayer. And let's respond. I think these are the moments God is speaking. God is speaking. God is trying to get our attention and our heart. Let's start there. Can we come in? Let's just spend some time in response and repentance. Let's, let's honor God in this time. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.